Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 113. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And as of today, the day of this recording, it is election day here in the United States. So we figured, how better to celebrate election day than to celebrate the first kid? And a that's Sinbad exactly. A Sinbad movie. A Sinbad movie for election day. Why not? 1996's first kid. I mean, when I say to you, Sinbad stars in, it doesn't matter the the next word or two out of my mouth. You immediately think, oh, this is early to mid-90s. It absolutely must be. Absolutely. Which is surprising that neither of us had ever seen this one because Jingle All the Way was always a big oh, holiday movie yes. for me. Uh, and I loved Houseguest, although I think that came out a little bit later than this did. I think that, did, and then Good Burger came after this too. They had a very small role in Good Burger, though. Right. I wouldn't coin that a Sinbad movie. No, not by any stretch of the imagination. But I remember when this movie came out, and it's weird because, like, I gushed over Blank Check when we recorded that episode um, a few months ago, um, and this came out only, I think like two years after Blank Check. And for some reason, even as a 10-year-old, when I saw the trailers for this, I said, oh, this looks kind of dumb. I have no interest in it. Same. I thought it was Blank Check 2.0 or Richie Rich. Yes. But less relatable because both of those were average kids. Here, it's they're trying to make it seem like he won the lottery, but he's the president's kid. Right, because, I mean, even Richie Rich, he's born into a wealthy family, but otherwise, he wants the same thing all kids want. But, and that's kind of what happens here before we, you know, get really deep into this, because I think movies of its time, I mean, you just found two of them right there, Blank Check and Richie Rich, very formulaic mm. in sort of how the stories lay out with a kid, an average kid, wanting more not being able to necessarily have what he wants or what she wants for that matter and needing to find creative ways to get there, most of which include having some sort of chauffeur or bodyguard in the case of these three movies, sneaking you out and getting you to do quote-unquote kid things. Right, and where it feels like those other two films, I think what they were trying to do here was something very unique because at the time... Until the Obamas got to the White House, you really didn't have little, little kids in the White House anymore. Like, yeah. Chelsea Clinton was already older. Yeah, so she was I, probably, like, 13 when she got in. Which is actually about how... Well, he's supposed to be a little bit older. He is in high school in this movie, which we're going to talk about. But I think that they were trying to really make it seem like a unique kid experience. Right. Um, and obviously cashing in on movies that had done well. Exactly. Leading into this. Now, did this movie do quite as well? Was this movie as popular? We'll talk about all that in a minute. But first, we have to give you the plot for Disney's first kid. After chasing away all of his former bodyguards, first kid Luke Davenport is assigned Secret Service Agent Sam Sims, who reluctantly accepts the position as his bodyguard, but hopes to someday protect the quote-unquote eagle and knows that this is his way in, the eagle being the president of the United States. 
Rebellious Luke doesn't take to Sims right away, and he continues to misbehave. After being beaten up by Rob, the school bully, his parents punish him for a month, even though he didn't start the fight, um, before heading out on the campaign trail. Taking pity on Luke for being bullied and being sheltered, Sims begins to sneak Luke out of the White House and teaches him how to box and the two become friends because Sims himself is a former boxer. After his parents return, they allow Luke to go to a school dance, which leads Luke to finally asking his crush Katie out to the dance with him with the help of Sims and Agent Dash. However, a suspicious duffel bag is found outside the White House gates on the night of the dance, so the Secret Service locks down the campus and tells Luke he can't leave as it is a security risk. Sims sneaks him out anyway, and Luke dances with Katie and successfully defends himself against Rob. The Secret Service tracks them down at the dance, fires Sims for taking the child off of the premises, and then put a tracker, a homing device, a honing device, I should say, on Luke so that they could keep an eye on him. When Luke tells his online friend, another quote-unquote child, named Mongoose12 about the tracker, Mongoose tells him how to take it off and agrees to meet him at the mall. After Luke disappears, the Secret Service calls Sims in for information, and they all set off to find him. They track him down at the mall and find out that Mongoose is former Agent Woods, who had previously been fired after being assigned the task of being Luke's bodyguard. He originally planned to return Luke and gain hero status to get his job back, but instead decides he wants to kill Luke instead. Sims defends Luke, eventually taking a bullet for him, and saves Luke's life, for which he is offered a promotion for his duties and for his bravery, but he decides that since he's already taken a bullet for the kid, he's going to reject the offer and remain Luke's bodyguard. All right, let's discuss these sets specifically for a second, because I I mean, they're great. They look just like the White House. They're very... Accurate. I believe they're accurate. But I would have to imagine that in the mid-90s, they had to have had a White House set just ready to go because right around 1996 was when you had, oh, about a million disaster movies, whether it be a natural disaster or an alien attack where the president had to be involved. They must have been using these sets constantly. Off the top of my head... If anything, you could have probably borrowed the set from West Wing because right. that's been in production forever. Right. Um, but that's the thing about it. It's the White House, so you have to get it right. So I'm sure any sort of production that was going to involve the government had, you know, exact photos ready to go where they could either go into a prop house that would have this stuff fabricated to look accurate or... They are just maybe renting out another set. I mean, we we learned about that when we took the tour of the Disney Studios is that if they had too much going on on their own set, they would either go over to Universal or they would go over to Warner Brothers and just crash for a while. Right. But I think uh, it is sort of funny how the White House seemed to be 
formulaic of the mid-90s. I mean, so many things that we have discussed and will discuss over the course of this episode that were sort of just those 90s tropes, and it seemed like the White House was one of those things. Of course. All right, so let's start breaking down the actual film here, because while it mirrors the other two films that we talked about a few moments ago, it's not exactly identical. If you've seen any of those movies... I don't even need to tell you what those movies are about. We just read through the plot of this, and I think most people, especially if you're a child of the 80s and 90s, know exactly where this Richie Rich and Blank Check are very much the exact same movie three different ways. You can also go back and listen to our review of Blank Check. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the setups are a little bit different. Obviously, Richie Rich, he's already rich. Blank Check, Preston wants to get out from under his brother's. Um, here what they do differently is that it's not just a kid wanting out of his situation or wanting more. It's that I find it really hard to sympathize with Luke because we establish that similarly Luke feels trapped, but he's being such a brat. I find it so much harder to relate to him. And I get what they were going for. They were making him act out and and show that he's not happy. But I feel like he's he's going about it the wrong way because he's being horrible to the people. He doesn't have a lot of people in his life and he's being horrible to the people that immediately surround him. So I'm surprised they didn't go. And I appreciate that they were trying to do something different, but I'm surprised that they didn't go with that 90s trope of he's acting out in school or, you know, he's locking himself in his room and we don't see that a lot. Right. I I respect the fact and appreciate the fact that he moons the media. I think that's great. Um, but other than that, um, yeah, from the jump, he is very much a dislikable character. And he really is. He's dislikable for probably the first 25% of this movie, which I think served more to trying to get the audience to fall in love with Sims. Sure. But, I mean, let's call it what it is. You had Sinbad in a Disney movie for kids in the mid-90s. You didn't need us to fall in love with Sims. As a kid in the 90s, you loved Sinbad, Um, which some kids might not. Well, think about it. like, Like, all right, so... Kids think about it like this. The way that modern child audiences may gravitate to The Rock, Jack Black, right? maybe Seth Rogen, that was how we were with Sinbad, to exactly. you know, put it in perspective. So you really did not have to work very hard to get us to like the character. Right, but I'm surprised they didn't give Luke enough likable qualities where, the, where kids are going to relate to him. Well, I think out of, you know out of the jump it's impossible to relate to him because he's the first kid of the three movies and i guess we're gonna end up talking about these three more than i even expected i think of the three movies preston is the most relatable because he is an average kid that has an extraordinary thing happen to him exactly with richie rich he's born into this charmed life but you feel bad for him because he does not want to be sheltered now it's he wants sa- to be a normal kid. He wants to be a normal kid. Now, it's the same thing here, but they go about it in a completely different way because this kid is very much acting out. Now, that could be 
due to the fact that he is 14 years old going into high school here, whereas Richie Rich, I think, was like 11 or 12 years old in that movie. And the two or three years might not seem that it makes that big of a difference, but I think in this case it does. Because I think you get the angsty teen, and maybe that's what they were going for, but I feel like if that was their ultimate goal, it fell a little flat. Because as you pointed out, it comes off more bratty than it does anything else. Exactly. Like, he's old enough to know better. And I can appreciate that they went with high school because there's a dance, and he's getting into girls so it works in that regard but as far as the acting out he's old enough to know better um although with the point that you brought up before that dressing room scene it's hilarious i'm really surprised that disney went for it in two regards because you see the security guard get rough with him um but the mooning, I mean, yeah, I don't know that a kid is going to think to do that. So that was a great little media stunt. It was. Um, yeah, I was surprised. Not so much surprised to see that an adult would manhandle a child that way. But like what Secret Service agent is going to grab the first kid from under the arm and try to yank him into a room and then say, well, you told me get him in the dressing room. I mean, obviously, Woods is very much fed up with his job. He's fed up with the kid. And he's unstable. And he's completely unstable. And it works for the actor because it's the same actor that plays the extremely dislikable brother from Field of Dreams. So it works for him. But no Secret Service agent is going to touch the child of the president that way. That he is sworn to protect. In front of the media, mind you. In you know, front of cameras. You know what's funny, too, is that I think in the ratings, um, it says contains tobacco depictions, but they don't mention nudity at all. Yeah. And I don't remember any tobacco depictions other than maybe um, it was a little smoky in the tavern that they go into, which we'll talk about in a minute because maybe one of the funniest jokes I've ever heard oh my God. in a Disney movie comes in that scene. But other than other than a smoky atmosphere, it's not like you see anybody smoking. It's not like in Saving Mr. Banks where you actually see Tom Hanks' Walt Disney snuffing out a cigarette. Or like more recently, we reviewed Natty Gann where you see a kid smoke. Right. Before we get to that amazing joke, um, they... You know, they, they have to do the 90s thing. The kids got to get disciplined, right? Yes. So this is the first point where I was pulled completely out of the movie because they call in Luke's dad to discipline his kid. And Luke's dad, obviously being the president, comes to his bedroom in a plaid button-down shirt. I feel like this scene would have been so much more effective if Luke had gotten called into the Oval Office because I get what they're going for. They are trying to make this relatable. And as I said, this was very much a 90s trope. It felt like Danny Tanner was called in to discipline him. Yeah. But you know what? This is a unique situation. You are the president's son. So your discipline should be according you should have that scary scene where he's walking up to the office and the hallway looms in front of him and it's like oh no he's got to go meet with dad and like you know make dad out to be this very foreboding character you also could have gotten a really fun cameo here i think if this was like one of the few scenes with the dad because he's not in it that much yeah um 
I think you're right. Seeing as it is the president of the United States going for the Danny Tanner thing sort of falls flat because, I mean, could you see Obama or Trump in a flannel going into their child's bedroom to discipline their child? Absolutely not. And and that's that's the most I will mention actual politicians in this episode. But I'm just talking about the last two presidents that had children in the White House. I cannot see them having, uh, you know, having done that. But counterpoint, Luke doesn't care. Luke is not intimidated by the fact that his father's the president. In fact, I don't think he even likes the fact that his father's the president. Right, because he does want to be an average kid. But that's that's what I'm saying is that, like, you... A, Luke needs to conduct himself differently because he's not an average kid. And I feel like the punishment didn't fit the crime in this case because he gets grounded for mooning. Which, yeah, average kid, okay, fine. But... This was mooning the media, and then it got broadcast all over television. Well, I'm trying to remember, though. Was he was he grounded for the mooning? I don't think he was grounded for the mooning. I think he got yelled at for the mooning. I think he got punished for the fight at school, which he did not start. Right. But, but to your point, the punishment really doesn't fit the crime because the kid didn't do anything wrong, and he still got punished. But this is a boy who cries wolf situation fool me twice uh, fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me because the kid has a history they're never going to give him the benefit of the doubt so i actually did not mind that the punishment didn't fit the crime because i think at some point you had to start feeling bad for a completely unlikable character and this was sort of the jumping off point right but it does sort of get buried because they're also trying to have this sinbad moment um, yeah. Luke has a snake and Sinbad is trying to put it back in its, in its terrarium, tank. whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, so they, they have a wide shot and Sinbad is messing around in the background, but I hate to say it and be this critical, but the actor could not handle it. He didn't know where to look the sight lines were all wrong i feel like luke gets so lost in this scene because the actor doesn't really know what to do the actor playing luke yeah i think you're right but i think more times than not people are going to miss that because they're distracted by sinbad wrestling this snake in the background right but there's there's no cutaways agreed no, I mean, I, it's supposed I to be happening in the background, but I feel like, I, I don't know, I just feel like he didn't, he was distracted by Sinbad. Yeah, I just, I couldn't with this, I hate snakes, so I just, I couldn't, I give credit to Sinbad for dealing with that, because I would, I would have been like, nope, I would have walked off the set, I am not doing that with this snake, because this snake is all up on Sinbad. That was another 90s thing, I guess, wasn't it? You had the snake, you had the tarantula and Home Alone. They always had like weird pets. I, I had a I had a canary and I had a dog and we had a fish tank. I don't know where all of these 90s kids had these and not like not like a small snake, like like Jake the Snake Roberts. You know, like they had like a huge, huge huge snake no now that i'm thinking about it the list goes on and on you had andre with the seal you had monkey trouble with thora birch what the hell were these weird <laughs> these very <laughs> what bizarre was going pets on? What in were the we 90s doing? 
I have no idea. Um, okay, so so we get through this scene, and then he's also got the dog that he does not want to walk. Uh, this is Luke, and yes. he tries to get Sinbad to walk it, and he says, that's not my job. So he walks out of his bedroom with the dog, and Sinbad follows him, and then loses him. He loses him somewhere somehow, and that's when they trip the sensor. The dog trips the sensor by right. the fence of the White House. When you are on detail and your only job is to follow this kid around, how far and how fast could this kid have been moving that you lost him for that long to set a sensor off? Because, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, he had to, Sinbad, you know, his character Sims, had to get in trouble. You know, Babe Ruth had to come down on him because the guy who plays his <laughs> superior is the same guy who played the babe in the Sandlot. So the babe's got to get mad and say, that's one demerit. So <laughs> um, they needed something to happen, but I just could not figure out. To me, that was either a bad cut or a, an edit that something got uh, you know, got cut out and it's on the cutting room floor. It makes no sense that he got that far away that quickly. I agree. And the other thing, they add a lot more trees to the White House. Like, apparently, according to this film, there's like some sort of walking path through the gardens. And that's that's where Sinbad kind of gets lost with the dog. Um, and I guess you can presume that Luke was hiding behind one of those trees, but that's not accurate. No. If you've ever seen the White House, at least the front of it, it's not accurate at all. Right. To touch on what you said about a scene or part of a scene ending up on the cutting room floor. I feel like that happens a lot. I feel like this film overall is very bad with transitions. Yes. Things seem like they either end abruptly or they never conclude. Right. And I feel like we have just a bunch of scenes that are stacked on top of each other with no thread running through them sometimes. Yeah, which is weird because the movie is paced fine. Right. It, the movie's actually paced really well, considering things abruptly end. And I know that sounds like it doesn't make sense, but until you sit and watch the movie, it, 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 it doesn't make sense, as, as I say it to you. But if you sit and watch the movie, you will see exactly what we are talking about. The movie doesn't drag. It never gets boring. It never gets slow. But things kind of just get janky. I think it's more in the way that the characters, specifically Luke and Sims, relate to each other, which yeah. we'll circle back to. Yeah. Let's get to the bar scene with the amazing joke. I want to make one more note before we get to the bar scene. Okay. Because there are certain parts of this film, as I had said earlier, Sinbad stars in a Disney movie, you know right away it's the mid-90s. Certain things date the movie, like... Luke has this online friend, Mongoose12, and Sinbad keeps telling him, don't let him know who you really are. The cyberspace, <laughs> nobody calls it cyberspace anymore, but at the time we did, cyberspace can be a dangerous place. And there's a scene where they're in a chat room. Yes. A snake chat room. And he goes, LOL, and in parentheses, <laughs> needs to write laugh out loud, which to us is funny now because every... First off, LOL is like the most like misused term because everybody finishes every sentence with LOL like it's a period. Um, but it's true. at the time, it was very primitive. People did not know what things like LOL meant. So a kid now seeing that on screen is not going to be able to relate to it. Right. And I mean, it, it really 
since it started being used, you haven't had to type it out. Right. Um, no, but you're right. And this scene also demonstrates what I'm talking about as far as how they relate to each other. Because Sims is telling him, don't let anybody know your identity. And instead of being like, yes, exactly. I just want to be normal. Luke gets very sarcastic with him. Right. And then finishes with the so, like, stereotypical, you're not my father. And then puts his hands on his ears and sticks his tongue out like a five-year-old. Yeah, and he's 14 in high school. There's, yeah, th- there's, there's a lot of good that comes out of this scene because it plants the seeds for what will happen later on in the movie. But there's but, also a lot of cringe. Yeah, there's a lot of cringe here. Um, okay, let's talk about what might be the greatest joke I've ever heard in a Disney movie because a lot of this, and most of it is Sinbad. There's a lot of adult humor in this movie, and most of it are things that like Sinbad says quickly or says under his breath, and you don't catch it the first time. Right. But there is a scene where Sims goes to a bar and sees an intoxicated Agent Woods who has been dismissed after manhandling Luke. And he's drinking Harvey Wallbangers, which I tended bar for 14 years. And I and I never made a Harvey Wallbanger because nobody makes Galliano. You always have the bottle of Galliano, but you never touch it. So he orders a Harvey Wallbanger. This is Woods and goes, no, 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 wait, make it a Harvey Oswald. And Sim says, "Why is it a Harvey Oswald? What's the difference?" Yeah. And Woods says, "The Harvey Oswald has three shots in it." That, listen, not to make light of an American tragedy, because the assassination of Kennedy was, but that, that joke, joke lands is the funniest joke in this movie, and it is one of the funniest, if not the funniest joke I've heard in any Disney movie ever, for the shock value alone. No, it's it's great. It's great writing. There's shock value. It's... I hate to say it. It's a timeless joke. It was still fun. I was I was rolling. And I, that that was the point where we were like, where has this movie been all our lives? Right. And and also making the Kennedy joke around the same time um, as Seinfeld, they had the loogie joke with with um, with the spit and they do back into the left, back into the left. So like the, the 90s were so weird. Like, 90s were mean to Kennedy. <laughs> so strange. Um, and continued to be bad to his family through most of the 90s. Oh, my God. But, like, we just had so many things between the weird, between the angsty teens, the bad pets, the Kennedy jokes. There was just so much going on in the 90s. Like, And it was a great time. A ki- Like, kids nowadays do will never understand what they missed not growing up in the 90s. And I know we sound terrible right now, but it was a hell of a time to be alive. No, it was. Like, how are you going to explain to a kid one day that a former football star got in a Bronco and was being chased down the highway? I know. Horrible. Again, another tragedy, but it's... It's it, crazy. Yeah. It would be like if Le'Veon Bell did it now. Like, that's how a kid would have to, like, put it in perspective. And if I were Le'Veon Bell, after 
the way Adam Gase and the Jets treated him. Wouldn't surprise if he got in a Bronco one day, but that is besides the point. Um, but yeah, this this joke is just fantastic. This whole scene is fantastic. Like you said, the pacing is great because we've had Sims having a stressful day. So now he's going, he's having a little adult time. Like you you sort of feel the breather that he gets in this scene because not only is he talking to Woods, Sims starts questioning his mentor Wilkes about a time that he was shot. And he's asking, did you think twice before you jumped in front of the bullet? So you can kind of tell that it's foreshadowing. Okay, fine. But um, Wilkes' response is, they elect them and we protect them. And I think that is the most poignant thing in this whole movie. And I was watching it, and especially now. I was like, what a radical concept is to just, regardless of your affiliation, support who is in office. Yeah, I, um, I think that as formulaic as this movie is, compared to other movies of its time, I actually think that the writing is quite good. Yes. I think that parts of this movie, I I think there's a lot of positive takeaways from this movie. I think parts of the movie actually are very timeless in their messages. Um, And we'll get to some of those messages in just a few moments as we continue to dig on, because then the next scene in particular is where the movie really starts to take off. But I do think that for a movie that was branded as being a slapstick comedy there is for as sloppy as it can get there is a lot of substance in this movie for sure and in the next scene in particular is where the movie to me really starts to take off the the scene is in in the school it's the private school that luke attends and if there's one actor in this movie that can age the movie worse than Sinbad, it's Zachary Ty Bryan. <laughs> Who has been making the same face in all of his television and films since the 90s. So obviously he gets the part in the Disney movie because he was on Home Improvement. He's the school bully Rob. Um, and I have to just kind of take this. I have to take the setup with a grain of salt. Where a lot of good happens here, but I have to take it with a grain of salt because first off, these kids, these bullies who think that they're going to pick on the first kid. First off, you're nobody out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Nobody would pick on the first kid. Everybody would want to suck up to him and be his friend because he's the president's son. Okay, so that within itself is not believable. The way that they have their ties tied, it's like halfway up their chest. The bullies look like Howdy Doody. <laughs> But there's no shot at all that this kid would have ever been in a schoolyard fight in a private school. With the Secret Service watching. With the Secret Service watching. Well, I guess I can appreciate, and I I agree with you 100%. You would have all the kids, especially in the age of social media, everybody would already know who he was. They'd be sucking up to him. Instead of a girl with a crush, you'd have a girl that's trying to gold dig. So I'm totally with you there. But I think I appreciate that that's what this film does different is that Sims puts the job aside and realizes that this kid needs to learn a lesson and says as much after it happens that he got what he deserved. Right. So I kind of appreciate that they actually went for it. And that's where the scene is a success, because while he would never have been in a fight, 
Sims step, steps back, and I think it was the teacher that said, um, where were you to protect him or where were you to do what you were supposed to do or something to that effect. And, and like you just pointed out, he said he, he got what was coming to him. He got what he deserved because Sims recognized the fact that this kid needs to get a good slap in the face humble himself Mm -hmm. and learn from it and be an adult and learn to stand up for himself like he needed that splash of cold water. This is where the movie really starts to pick up steam. Humble is definitely the operative word there. And I think um, he says as much, too, in the scene with the teacher that my job is to protect him from psychos and people wielding guns. He says it to Luke. Yes. In the car when they're on their way back. Right. And... I think he goes, not 14-year-olds in blue blazers. Exactly. And, you know, it's sort of a character-defining moment for Sims is that he's not going to be the one to kiss the kid's butt like everyone else has for Luke's entire life. Yeah. And this is where the relationship between Sims and Luke begins to develop. And I love this relationship. I think this relationship that they start to form is as good as Preston and Henry in Blank Check. I think in many ways, actually, I think this is better because Henry takes Preston under his wing in a very tongue-in-cheek sort of way. In this case, you have Sims taking Luke under his wing because the whole boxing backstory, I think, is great. I think it makes a lot of sense because you really don't understand how is bumbling Sims in the Secret Service. Well, if he's a former fighter, it makes sense. Right, especially because prior to that, they make mention that Woods got fired because he failed his physical exam. So right. it's like, how do you have this slightly overweight big dude pass? But yeah, I, I think that was a brilliant backstory. But this is I take you under my wing because as we find out, and Sim says, my, I lost my father in Vietnam. It was just me and my mom. I had to learn to defend myself. I became the man of the house. This is a better setup than most of these bodyguard, limo driver, school teacher, whatever the case may be that takes the kid under their wing it's done so much better here than it's done in any of those other movies it's got so much more heart to it i'm actually gonna disagree oh (laughs) oh no uh no i agree with you on the relationship aspect but as far as the setup here this is one of those scenes where i feel like we're missing a piece because well first of all it's completely distracting that before they have their heart to heart The first lady barges into the Oval Office during a meeting. With the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Yes. And she puts that on pause for a family discussion. This is such a 90s trope. It is ridiculous. And I mean, I get it. You're trying to bring into the fact that they are the presidential family and remind us that they are in the White House. But it took me out of it completely. Um But as far as the relationship between Sims and Luke, I love this little secret room Uh, out of Luke's closet. He goes down a staircase and there's you can tell there's all I I guess it was the kids room because I think you see C. Clinton on the wall. Yeah. You see JFK and Marilyn Monroe, which was really funny. Another Kennedy joke. Um, Yeah. So I think that was clever. Um, But what bothers me is that it doesn't really make sense that Sims starts being nice to him because 
I think he sympathizes with Luke having a bad day and he does take responsibility for not stepping in and letting him get hit. But you know what? That was what you wanted. Stick to your guns. And I feel like Luke did nothing to earn his forgiveness. And that's where I feel like they jumped the shark a little bit as far as having them relate to each other. And I I realize we're about halfway through the film in this point and you have to start getting him to his training montage with the boxing. So I know we needed that jumping off point, but I just feel like Sims was so quick to let his guard down and Luke really did nothing to earn that. Um, I don't think Luke needed to do much to earn it. I think that's the whole point of this is that in spite of the fact that they obviously come from two very different scenarios and two very different ways of life, I think that Sims sees a lot of himself and a lot of his own adversities that he had to face in his life in Luke. I think that he does sympathize with the fact that at the end of the day, Luke's, he's the first kid, but he's first a kid. You know what I'm saying? I think that's, I think it's sort of implied. So I I didn't feel that we needed any more to happen to get to that point. I see what you mean. I'm not saying you're wrong. And this is a good example of where something feels like it got cut out. Mm-hmm. But if that was a choice they made in post, I think that's a choice they made and it didn't otherwise hurt the film. But I feel like for Luke's end of it too, like why all of a sudden did was Sims the one that you decided to let into your life and I I get that yes he did offer up that piece of I didn't grow up with a father you at least have yours um so I guess that spoke to Luke in some way but I feel like as far as allowing him to get hit and get in the fight and experiencing something that a normal kid does we should have connected those dots a little bit more. Like Luke should have learned that lesson of why he got hit because he was acting like a punk. Right. And he never comes out and says so much, but I think he was sort of hoping that, yes, he would have figured that out on his own. Now, let's start talking about how this all starts to play out because now you start to see Sims sneak Luke out. He sneaks Luke's uh, Luke out to go to a roller rink for Katie's birthday, um, and he's sneaking him out to get to the gym. I like the fact that he starts doing this. I like the fact that this is how they do choose to build the relationship. I think it's funny when he puts, he basically puts a jerry curl wig on him and starts saying that his name is Reggie and he's friends with Luke and he's sneaking him out that way. It's funny. It would ne- it would obviously never fly, but it was the 90s, so they had to get him out of there somehow. So why not dress him up? You know, we've seen it a million times in these 90s films. The one thing that I dislike more than okay, you put a wig on him and a, and a hat and a pair of sunglasses and changed his name and nobody believed you, was when they finally get him to the gym, how does nobody recognize him? Yeah. How does nobody recognize him as being Luke Davenport? That's the only part about this. I love that he did this, but I feel like if he was going to sneak him out to get him to a gym... He should have done it after hours. Right. I mean, I guess you could make the argument that 
maybe as the first kid, he's a bit more sheltered and protected and maybe less recognizable, obviously, than his parents. However, his face and Heine were just all over the news. (laughs) So everybody has to know who this kid is. But other than that, I think that this really works in developing their relationship. I think it works in moving the story forward, and it obviously sets the table. You know what's going to end up happening. He's teaching this kid to box. You know he's going to cash in on it eventually, and you know it's going to be against Rob. Of course. So it serves the story in the fact that you know that he's going to have his revenge on the bully, but I think it's also a little karate kid in that it's he's got a focus and a discipline now. Correct. You get the 90s training montage, yes. which you've seen a million times. Bring Though it. not as cheesy as a lot of the 90s films. Um, certainly not as cheesy as it gets in Mighty Ducks or even Cool Runnings. Both comedies, but they get a little cheesy. Here they kind of cut back and forth between him training and him and Sims like having a good time sneaking out just messing around the White House. It's a little long, though. It's I a think little we long. Cut it a little bit. It's a little long, and the soundtrack that they use there, really the music throughout the entire film, makes the movie feel like the early '90s rather than the mid to late '90s. I mean, '96, you're one year removed from being dead set in the mid '90s. So even at the time, I feel like the music would have dated the film by a few years. Agree. Um, I love that when. They are sneaking back in and the Secret Service is keeping an eye on them and they go to wave goodbye or they're waving hello and even the dog is waving. Uh, I didn't catch that the first time, but they just plant little things here and there that I think do a good job of keeping the movie very lighthearted without being too silly. Agreed. I want to talk about the dance here. Specifically, I want to talk about the setup of the dance where... Luke is completely socially awkward and he doesn't know how to ask Katie out. So you get Sims and Dash. Dash is another agent who is also their driver. And they give they give Luke the earpiece and they are like feeding him the lines. And he just falls all over his face, but it's hysterical. I absolutely love this scene. Yeah, you knew it was going to happen with the earpiece, especially because they do set it up in the beginning with with Sims taking his out. So you knew there was going to be some kind of gimmick with it, but they delivered for how awkward Luke is. He is like Paul Rudd awkward. Yeah. But just equally as uncomfortable, not as funny. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a great little scene. And I love Dash. We haven't given Dash enough love. We haven't talked really about characters specifically yet. But yeah, Dash has played an integral part in all of this. Yeah, no. And he's reluctantly roped in once Sims and Luke start getting along. He's got to go along with it and drive them everywhere. But no, he's great in this scene. But yeah, the dance. Be careful what you wish for is what I have to say. Because we've talked about it on the show before is how unrealistic these school dance sets are because in you every have movie. in every movie it's supposed to be high school students setting it up and instead you have an entire art department and production team dressing the set so it always looks amazing and over the top and completely unrelatable for your average high school dance uh, we're talking about the enchanted under the sea dance and back to the future we're talking about you know, American Pie, the prom is so over the top. 
even in Teen Beach 2, this dance that Mac has thrown together after, you know, she wasn't even going to go to that school and on a week's notice, it looks amazing. It's just not realistic for high school. And here we have some balloons and some cray paper and it looks completely realistic but I don't buy it because this is an expensive private school for the government's children. Here is where you should be over the top. Yeah. The whole thing, it just, it looks, like you said, it, I would have bought it if it were a regular high school or a junior high school. But in this case, it does fall flat. But I absolutely, here's the thing. I love this scene because I love watching Luke actually give Rob what's coming to him. But Rob becomes so unhinged for absolutely no reason. Only because I guess he saw Luke dancing with Katie. And at Katie's birthday, it was sort of implied that Rob kind of had a thing for her. But this is another thing that maybe ended up on the cutting room floor because they never really like set that up very well. It almost seemed like she was a non-entity to Rob. So his motivation to get up and try to fight this kid a second time seems completely unmotivated. I agree. I feel like it was just supposed to be, I'm the most popular guy and you're the most popular girl and we're going to end up together. And he's just very possessive of Katie. But the way that he reacts to her, you do see that maybe he has actual feelings and they got hurt. And that's why he goes after Luke because Luke got the girl. Yeah. I love the um, the coaching from the sidelines from Sims, too. Yes. This is where the relationship really shines between them because um, especially as they transition to a slow dance, Luke doesn't know what to do with his hands, and then Sims starts dancing with the teacher and showing him what to do. So it's it's a cute little scene. It's what you'd expect, but it's it's cute. Yeah. Let's jump to the end of the movie here. Obviously, you know Mongoose 12 cannot be trusted, right? And you know right away when they have Luke chatting with him and it zooms out of the White House window and you see in a car parked in front of the White House on the smallest laptop of all time, <laughs> in, the, in the days before Wi-Fi, which was very impressive, you have somebody chatting in the car and you know it's an adult, you know it's not a child. I do not hate this unhinged twist with no. Woods. Is it overacted? Absolutely. It is a badly overacted scene. But I think it works for Woods. Because he obviously is drunk when you see him the first time. You obviously know he's not stable the way that he handles Luke in the dressing room to begin with at the right. mall. But the next time you see him, he's drunk, you kind of write him off. But here, he says, he not only cost me my job... He cost me my marriage. He cost me this. He cost me everything. And while some may view that twist as being sort of silly, I think it actually works. Oh, it's a legit motive. The way they set up this scene, though, um, they're at the mall and Luke goes to do this VR game. I really thought the VR was going to be rigged like a bomb going off. Because they have the whole countdown ticking. I mean, they they do that in um, Miss Congeniality, where the crown is rigged. Yeah. Um, which I think came out later than this, too. But yes. the way that, that this scene is set up, you, you really think that there's the VR is going to go off on him. Right, and obviously that's not the case. 
should he should he have been able to fire that pistol after he fell in the water with it? I think the gunpowder in the bullets probably would have been wet. I don't know that he could have fired. Now, I'm not a firearms expert. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I don't think that he would have been able to fire that gun. But obviously, you know that Sims is going to jump, jump in front of that bullet because, as you mentioned earlier, they they very much set up the end of this movie an hour before it actually happens. And you knew Woods was going in the mall fountain. Yes, absolutely. Because every mall had that big fountain in the 80s and 90s. Now, not so much, but... That was a thing. <laughs> that was just the general architecture of every mall that was ever a mall. Okay, let's move to characters here because we haven't really broken all of them down. I want to talk, obviously, quickly about Sims. We know it's Sinbad. We've mentioned it a hundred times. And I think at this point, I don't think I can tell you anymore how much I love this character. I think Sinbad is hilarious the entire time. I think that he gave this character a ton of life, but I love everything about Sims. I love his backstory. I love his initial motivation. I think of all of the characters in this movie, he has the best character arc. In fact, I'd even go so far as to say, I know the movie is called First Kid, but I don't think this movie is about the first kid. I think it's about Sims. I agree with you. I think Sims is the main character, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier about Luke being unrelatable because he's being so mean. Luke really is a device to tell Sims' story. Absolutely. And even though the title is First Kid, it's really, like you said, Sims' experience with the first kid. Uh, what I give Sinbad a lot of credit for, too, is that I feel like the most close character to this is uh who he plays in house guest um you know and same thing he's got to win the kids over well doesn't have to win the kids over but he does he ends up teaching them things but he does it differently enough where this doesn't feel like a copy or it doesn't feel played out it doesn't feel like every movie that hulk hogan was in in the 90s yes between Mr. Nanny and Suburban Commando. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Luke Davenport played by Brock Pierce. I'm. Let's talk about Luke and then I want to talk about Brock Pierce for a second. Yeah. But I want to talk about Luke first. Um, I like everything that Luke does at the end of the movie. I like how Luke progresses at the end of the movie. But I don't really like Luke. I think... I think I like Luke as a means of giving Sims a story more than I like Luke as a character. I 1000% agree with that because I had said it in the beginning. He's very hard to sympathize with, but he never really wins me over. Their relationship does, but I don't sit there at the end and, and go, wow, Luke has really changed. She's a decent human. Right. He's... Sim's friend, and he got the girl, and good for him, and that's it. All right, I want to talk about Brock Pierce for a minute. Let's because do, this is please. very timely. Brock Pierce, you may recognize him as young Gordon Bombay in the first two Mighty Ducks movies, okay? Brock and we see Pierce, him skate at the end of this, too. They're playing hockey. Yes. Brock Pierce is on your ballot today as yeah. a presidential nominee. This is true. He is running as an independent... He's a billionaire. 
thanks to Bitcoin. And here's what I didn't tell you. He's got, I guess, his little advisory board. On his advisory board... Please be Gary Busey. Akon. Oh, my God. <laughs> Akon... Akon is on his advisory board. Akon, who introduces every song almost just like Jason Derulo. Yep. Oh, my God. Suffice to say, <laughs> not that I'm looking to influence anybody's vote. I don't think by the end of this year, we will be referring to the uh, president-elect Brock Pierce. Wait, wasn't, wasn't Akon's song Smack That? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, let's talk about Morton, played by Art LaFleur. Okay. I, I don't even know where to go after that. Well, I'm going, I'm going to Art LaFleur. As I mentioned earlier, we know him as the babe in the sandlot. I mean, he's fine in this movie. He's just what every boss is going to be in a exactly, 90s movie. Exactly. And constantly picking on Sims ties. Yeah. I do like that though because the clip-on ties. Yeah, no, and they're always brightly colored and I thought that that was such a, a nice detailed touch to give the character because while he does take the job seriously, he wants to be an individual and he wants to bring that into the job. Um so I thought that was great. It was it was a good conflict. Yeah. Dash. Blake Boyd plays Dash. He is one of the best sidekicks I think I have seen in any movie. He is so underappreciated. I'm not going to say he's underutilized because I think he's in it just enough, but I love the relationship that he has with Sims and the one that he eventually builds with Luke. If you're talking about sidekicks, to me, he is in the same caliber as Riley Poole in National Treasure. He's just the perfect the perfect sidekick. He's just always there for you. Yeah. Zachary Ty Bryan is Rob MacArthur. It's just Zachary Ty Bryan. That face. That's all it that, is. That one Nothing face. Nothing against though. him. I like him, but he's just, he's just Zachary Ty Bryan. He still was making that face as late into the 90s as the Rage Carry 2. Yeah, basically. And then you did you do get two cameos here. Bill Clinton and Sonny Bono both had cameos in this movie. Sonny Bono was a complete surprise. Yeah. And that, that's a really funny scene because Sims has no regard that he's about to meet the president. He's just falling all over. I got you, babe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Clinton, was that a cameo or was that found footage that they chopped up? Because no, that was a cameo. Really? He actually filmed this. Yeah, this was a cameo. I really thought that they just found what they needed him to say because it seemed very generic to me and I thought they really just cut up a, a stock interview. No, this was a this was an actual cameo. All right, good. But for I them. mean I guess president you know, Clinton was the president at the time. In fact ninety six I believe he was up for reelection. So um obviously his time is very limited, ninety five, ninety six, you know, when they'd be shooting this movie. So I guess that was the most they could get him for i mean it's it's a it maybe 10 seconds it's a very quick 
And I and actually kind of a surprising thing too because if he's still in office and he's up for re-election at the, at the point in time that this movie takes place and they don't say that it's in the future it's supposed to be set in present day he is not the president anymore even though he was still in office and Davenport right. is in but then Davenport's up for re-election it's like the timeline is very strange for this movie um, it, it actually makes absolutely no sense. Um, it would have made more sense if Davenport was the incoming president because Clinton is saying, look under the bed for the saxophone. I love that saxophone. <laughs> and everybody knows he played it. Well, not everybody, but people of an age will remember when he played it on Arsenio Hall. Right. When he was campaigning for his first term. But I thought that that was really good. I thought Ed Clinton was actually a very good sport about it. Um, okay. So I guess final thoughts. I'll go first. I'll I'll bat lead off here. Okay. Um, there are certain things that I think the movie accomplishes very well. I think there are certain things that are a little off-putting. Um, the the first is the product placement. I cannot recall prior to like a big budget Marvel movie. I don't recall seeing that much product placement in a Disney movie. There is a ton of it in this movie. Coca Cola, Domino's, McDonald's, Dunkin' Donut. I mean. Literally, if you could, you could literally throw a stone at any store on any major road in any town in the United States, and whatever chain you hit, they had a product placed in this movie. I think this is where product placement really started, and it, it really bothered me when it happened so predominantly, is when it started to overtake the cinematography, and you had to make sure those shots were in and you had to hold them for a certain amount of time. It got even worse in the late nineties, but this is where you start to see it happen. Um, so that's really distracting. I think that this kid is Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man cry all the time for somebody who's supposed to be a tough guy. He cries a lot. Um, but other than that, I think that this movie is very fun. I think it's wildly funny. I said before, I think the sets are great. I love the relationship they build with the characters. This movie is a surprise for me. I wish I had grown up with it. I wish I had watched it as a kid. I enjoyed this so much more than I thought I was going to. So it's a movie that I will definitely watch again, and I would say it's worth your investment of an hour and 40 minutes. But I will say, as much as I liked it, this movie is very much dated. Um, I think that other than it's easy to sit there and say, oh, the clothes, oh, the cars. Um, I just think in general, a lot of the pop culture references that they make in the movie, as much as I enjoy them, a lot of the actors that are in the movie were very much products of its time. I think the movie in, in its entirety and its plot and its structure is a product of its time. So as much as I enjoy it, I'm not going to say the movie doesn't hold up, but it feels like an old movie. I'm going to disagree. I don't think it holds up. And that's not to say that it's bad, but just by virtue of being a Sinbad movie, um, for as many good and timeless jokes as there are, there are some that are very dated. But I think for the most part, 
what makes it not hold up is that it's going to be so unrelatable now. Now it's like you said at the top of the show, kids would be sucking up to the first kid to try and be their friend because they want something from them. And with social media alone, I feel like this movie is not going to be as relatable to a kid now, especially because, you know, even we, we had talked about it um, at the top of the show is we have when when this movie was made, you didn't see the younger kids in the White House. So this was sort of a novelty. Now we have seen what happens when the kids grow up in the public eye and these kids are drilled on how to conduct themselves both in public and now on social media. So in that regard alone, this movie would have to be done completely different now. But regardless of how it holds up, I still really liked this movie. Um, I wish it was one that I had grown up on. And I am sorry that I dismissed it among the ranks of Blank Check and Richie Rich because I just felt like it was going to be more of the same. And that's why I never really got into it. But it does separate itself from the other films of its kind. Um even though I do have some issues with the story as far as how the characters relate to each other. And I think that there were some things that were either rushed or missed entirely. I think it's still a good story. It's a great script for those moments that we talked about that speak to the bigger picture. And overall, I think it's just a fun enjoyable movie that more importantly than anything else doesn't take itself too seriously and lord knows we need more of those we'd like to know what you think of disney's first kid you can let us know on twitter instagram and facebook at monorail radio you can also email us monorail radio at gmail.com thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on monorail radio don't forget we dropped a bonus episode a couple of days ago with our trip recap we spent four quick days at walt disney world you can go and listen to our recap and our report and get our feelings of how things are going at Disney right now. Um, and you can listen to us on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, I mean, throw a dart at them. We're on all of them. And and the, really, the easy link to everything is monorealradio.com. Links to all of the social media, as well as the email address, and all of the places where you can find the show. Rate, review, and subscribe. It's always greatly appreciated. Thank you guys again so much. We will be back next week. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.